Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, those of you who are mothers, and really all our women, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. So glad that you have uh, joined us this morning. Before we get into everything, we're in part 10 of a series in the book of Colossians. Before we get into that, before we get into Mother's Day, uh, I want to let you know something we're going to be letting you know for the next several weeks, and that is uh, we are moving as a church. We are moving. And if you've been around, you can clap for that. It's okay. Uh, if you've been around, uh, you'll know some of this. If you haven't, I'm not going to tell you the whole story now because we're going to get to Moms and Colossians really quickly. But you can go back and listen really to last week's sermon, the first 15 minutes or so we talked about this. But uh, short story is uh, we got evicted out of this school. Uh, they had to break our rental agreement for a unique situation. And we stopped and really just said, okay, that's a surprise, and we want to surrender our lives and this situation to God. And so we did that. We took a week to pray. And uh, May 27th uh, was going to be our last Sunday here. It is our last Sunday in this facility. And so we really just surrendered this situation to God. It's a big deal to move a church in what I think overall is about six weeks. And so we surrendered that situation, and we believe God provided. And we shared that news with you last week. This uh, church building at 19th Avenue and Indian School on a Sunday morning, same time as we meet in right now. Same price, essentially, as we pay right now, uh, which if you know anything about church world and church planting, uh, that is really unique and rare, right? Uh, the reason we're meeting in a school is because there's not church buildings vacant on Sunday mornings that cost the same as this, right? And so we believe that, that through an obstacle, God provided an opportunity, as he often does, and made provision in an amazing way. And so we are moving forward with that. Uh, we are moving Sunday, June 3rd. We won't be in this room. Uh, we will be at 19th Avenue and Indian School-ish, uh, right? You can see the address. Put that in your, in your iPhones. 4002 North 18th Avenue, Phoenix, Arizona, 85015. We will be in a full court press over the next few weeks to get that out online through CCB, our email communication. If you don't get our emails, Now's a good time to ask us how to sign up for that at the Connect Desk out back. Uh, we'll put that on the website, and just over the next few weeks, leading up to Sunday, June 3rd, uh, we'll be talking about uh, this next location, this next chapter of our lives. And what we said what, last week is I would say, uh, again, just so we're not confused here, the church is not a building, it's a people. And, and the people of God are going to gather in a new place, but the goal is still the same, and that's to, to take a place and to use it as a tool to reach people. That does not change. Form may change, function does not change. And so we invite you to join us in that. We have a few weeks to move equipment, get the word out. You can help us do that. And honestly, you can just help us by praying and serving. There is, with a transition like this, there's a lot going on. And there's a lot going on even in the spiritual realm of warfare, of, of, of just doubting different things and just the chaos of things. And, and we would ask that you join, I would ask that you join me and you join our church in praying and serving and, and asking what can you do and that we would all put a hand in in this moment and say, hey, let's transition well together so that we can see a place reach people, right? And so that's what's coming. Excited about that. Excited that God has provided, asking you to join me. You can find out ways to serve at the Connect Desk. There's lots of ways to do that, to start strong at the new building. And then uh, just getting to our, our mothers. I, I love Mother's Day. I love it that my mother-in-law is here today uh, all the way from Central Texas, 19 hours. Yeah, give her a hand clap for that. 19-hour drive 
Um, and so we've gotten to spend some time together. We'll do that a little bit later today as well. Uh, my wife, incredible mother of three, and just thankful for all of you as mothers. Uh, I always say it like this. If you were to get paid for what you do, it'd be like a million dollars a year, right? You'd be at the top end of all the salaries because it's so, so vital and so important. But, but here's what I know, and I want to pray for all our mothers, but also all our women, is that as much as this day is a celebration, it's a day to celebrate motherhood and moms. We're going to have a photo booth. We do right outside. We want you to get a picture with your family. It's a day of celebration for many, but it's also a day of sadness for some, right? Uh, some women who desire motherhood but aren't there yet. They're not married yet. They're still single, but they, they want that. They want to be a wife and a mom, and they're not there yet. So today is a reminder of that. Uh, for some people who've lost their mom, and you're, you're beginning to think about, I remember my mom, and I remember how she was, and I remember celebrating Mother's Day with her, and, and you're a little bit saddened by that. So it's a day of celebration, but it's also a day of sadness, and you need to realize that. Church family, as you see women in our church, give them a hug, tell them you love them, right? So today is a sad day for some. Um, and so I want to pray for all of our women, no matter what situation you're in. I want to take this time to pray uh, for our women. Would you pray along with me as we do that together? Father in heaven, I do want to thank you for our moms, uh, the ones who are celebrating today, and the ones that are being celebrated. Uh, God, I thank you for what they do. I thank you for all the time, the resources, the energy, the lack of sleep that they give to mother well, to raise up the next generation, to make little disciples of Jesus. God, I thank you for them. Their worth is immense. Their value is priceless. God, we can't thank them enough. And uh, God, I thank you for them. I pray that we would honor them in really tangible ways with flowers and hugs and chocolates and coffee, whatever it takes today. But God, I also pray for our other women, some of them who aren't mothers yet who want to be maybe who've endured miscarriages, maybe just can't have kids, maybe aren't married yet, and that's a, a sore spot for them. And I just pray that you would comfort them. 2 Corinthians uh, 1.3 says, You comfort us with supernatural comfort in our affliction so that we can comfort others. God, I pray that you would give them, grant them that comfort in this moment now, that you are a God who is a father, and even if they're not a mother, they have you as a perfect father, and they would take comfort and joy in that truth this morning. I pray for those who have lost their moms that you would do that in the same way in these next few moments together. God, I pray that we would all, uh, moms, women, men, kids, we would all be encouraged and empowered as we look at your words today. And in Colossians, God, that we, um, we could, in this moment, we could experience a religious service. And God, I pray against that danger. We could in this moment just be thinking about a lot of crazy things and getting ready to go to lunch with our moms and, and do all the festivities for the day. And we could miss this moment. So, God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ that in this moment we wouldn't miss the moment. We would lean into this moment. And you would stir our affections through your word by your spirit for the glory of God. Help us as we look at your word now. Be encouraged and be empowered and be equipped for motherhood or whatever you have called us to. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
All right, well, if you are new with us, we are in the book of Colossians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on a seat around you. I believe there should be some on an armrest. If they are not, all of you have a phone that glows brightly. So pull that out and go to BibleGateway.com, pull up an app on your phone, go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Get your eyes on God's word as we move forward this morning. Uh, just to catch you up, if you are new, the book of Colossians is made up of 95 verses. And in these 95 verses, 15 times, we see a particular phrase of in Christ, or in God, or in him. So 95 verses, 15 times, in Christ, in God, or in him. And the thread that really runs through Colossians that we've been talking about over the last nine weeks is maturity in Christ. And what that looks like. And last week, we really started a, a two-part mini-series on what change looks like. That we said, if we're going to mature in Christ, there are things that have to change in us, right? And, and the first thing we talked about is what Paul talked about the week prior, the passage prior, is that there's some things that need to be put to death, right? If we're going to mature in Christ, we have to have some change in us, and to have some change in us, some things need to die, right, before other things can be brought to life. And so Paul gave us this list, list. and we all talked about how we love lists in the Bible so much, right? They talk about all our sins. But what Paul is doing is in the grace of God is he's saying, hey, if you want to see life brought to bear, then some things have to die. And we talked about how typically the way it goes for us is we don't, we don't often just kill things, sins in our life, pride, lust, insecurity, greed, selfishness. We don't just kill them. We don't put them to death like Paul says. We often do something different and we put them in a box. I, I told you, it's like my house. When we try to get rid of toys and kids' toys and purge those things, we don't just get rid of them. That would be insane. Why would we just get rid of them and take them immediately to Goodwill or give them to somebody we know? No, what do we do? We, we gather all the toys. True story here, okay? We gather all the toys, and we put them in a box in the corner of the room. We think, we think about taking them out right then, but we think, no, we'll do it later. We'll do it this week. And then what happens? Parents, you know this. Mothers, you know this. The kids find those toys in the box. And they start to pull them out. And what they haven't seen in two years is all of a sudden their most favorite toy ever. Right? And they're hugging it. And they're squeezing it. And they're playing with it. And before we know it, the stuff we were trying to get rid of that's in the box gets pulled out of the box. And it's all over our house. It's all over our lives. And then many times we try to change like that, right? We take all the things that we don't want to see in our life, the list that Paul gave us last week, the lust, the impurity, the pride, the greed. We take all that stuff and, well, we could just get rid of it, get rid of all those things in our lives that cause those sins in our lives, uproot it. We'll just put it in a box. Because a little bit later we'll be like, oh, look at those toys in the box. That lust, it looks so good. I haven't played with it in a long time. I want to hug it and squeeze it and play with it. That pride, oh, I'll just take it out for a little while. And before we know it, that lust, that pride, that gossip, that greed, it's all over our, our, our house, our bodies, our lives, our minds, our hearts, right? And what do we do? We start that cycle all over again. Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Put it, put it back in the box, right? And Paul says where change begins is putting things not in a box but putting things to death, 
And so that, that's hard for us to hear, but that's the grace of God in saying, if you want to change, there's some things that need to die. But it doesn't end there, thank God. It's not just about killing things. It's about putting on new things, bringing things to life. And that's our first point. Today we're going to talk about how change develops. And our first point is this, that we want to put on the character of Christ. So we put away the old self. We put that to death. Old behaviors, old barriers. We put on something new, and he's going to tell us what that is. Verse 12, look at the verse with me. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul, before we get to the list of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, look at those first few words. Paul describes our identity. He says, God's chosen ones, that God sought you out. He says, you're holy, that God sets you apart. He says, you're his beloved. Literally, that means that you are dearly loved. Now, I know it's Mother's Day, and some of you got the ham in the oven. You got plans after this. Maybe it's been a little bit chaotic this morning. If I'm honest, my morning was a little bit chaotic. So some of you need to hear this right off the bat, that Christianity is not that we ascribe to a moral standard. Christianity is not that we're somehow smarter or better or more spiritual than other people in the outside world. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is that God, a holy God, a heavenly father, looks upon sinful man and he seeks you out, you're chosen. He sets you apart, you're holy, and that you are dearly loved. If you're not a Christian in this room, that's what Christianity is, right? Maybe you're here because it's Mother's Day and you just came to be supportive. You need to know that's what Christianity is. That if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin from this morning. He doesn't see your sin from last night. He doesn't see your shortcomings from last week. Even though he knows them, he doesn't see them. When he sees you, if you're in Christ, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son, amen? He sees his perfect son, and he says, I'm seeking you out. I'm setting you apart. You are dearly loved. We're not better we're not spiritual. We're not smarter. We are dearly loved. That's the mark of Christianity. That's your identity as a Christian. Right? So as we get that straight right off the bat, then Paul says there's some things to put on. He says compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, that this new identity leads to a new activity. You see it? Because some of you are wrestling right now, and you're saying, well, Tim, we do have to do some things. Like, and Paul's going to get into that. But, and you're right. This new identity does lead to a new activity. And Paul tells us what that looks like with these characteristics of Christ. He says to put them on. It's similar language to Proverbs 31. Women, uh, you may know this first, that she is clothed with strength and dignity. Right? Oftentimes in the Bible, there's this imagery of putting on clothes. In this case, putting on the character of Christ. A couple weekends ago, I mentioned this last week, but I was away preaching at a men's retreat for another church. And I explained to you guys, there was about 75% of those people, of those men, were just from that church in North Phoenix. And about 25% of those men were not. Uh, they were from a ministry called Alongside Ministries. And it's a ministry, really great ministry, that helps people coming out of prison. 
helps them get jobs and reacclimate to life. And the most amazing part of the whole retreat was these men. Because on Sunday morning, as we began to leave, they would get up and share testimony. And it's those moments where they get up to share testimony and you're like, kind of scared and kind of excited for these guys from prison. Like, what are they going to say, right? They're a little bit more raw than we are. What are they going to say? And it was the best moment of the whole retreat because man after man would get up before all of us and just say, you know, people tell me all the time, I'm so sad you had to go to prison. That must have been so hard. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm thankful that God put me in prison because what it took for me to put on Christ was to strip away everything else. And that was prison. I was stripped away of my pride, of my greed, of my lust. I was stripped away of all the things that I held dear, and I had to put on Christ. I had to get some new clothes. You see, just as essential as putting on clothes in your life, to go to bed, to go to work out, to go to work, right? That's, can we agree? It's essential, right? You should do that. Just as essential as that is, it's essential to be stripped down of, of you, and put on the character of Christ. That's how we change. That's how change develops, whatever it takes to do that. Now, hopefully, for some of you, it doesn't take prison. Right? Hopefully, for some of you, it takes this sermon or looking at God's word or the spirit of God stirring your heart. But whatever it takes, we are to put on some new things. And it's interesting. If you look at the text with me, do that now. Notice in verse 12, as we look at these characteristics, There's no mention of efficiency. There's no mention of discipline. In fact, none of these characteristics are isolated. No, what are they? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It's not just about you. It's about you interacting with the people around you. Paul, as he says, to put on these new things after you've killed these other things, it's all relational. Paul is assuming that you live in community in community, that you're in relationships with others. The way we talk about that here is through community groups, but it's not just that. Community groups that meet during the week and look at the Bible together, do life together. It's not just that. It's coming early. It's staying late. Man, some of you come late and you leave early. You jet out of here and you feel a lack of fulfillment in your life, and it's because you were designed for community. And so whether it's through a community group, and I would highly recommend that you get in one of those, or it's just coming early, staying late, serving, going to lunch with people every Sunday, you don't need the church to facilitate that. Every Sunday, you can do this. Hey, what's your name? Hey, we're going to go to lunch. You want to roll with us? Every Sunday, you can enter into community and relationships. Every week, you can do that in community groups. Paul assumes that you do. Right? All of these characteristics are relational. What's amazing about the Christian faith is that when we change, it doesn't just affect us, it impacts others. Right? That's what Paul is saying. As you change, as you put these new things on, it's designed to impact the people around you. Earlier this week, I got to volunteer at my kid's school, and uh, we have to do that once a month. I mean, we get to do that once a month, it's a, it's a co-op school if you've ever experienced that. And so once a month, we, we go for a whole day at the school. And, it, man, it just always rewires my mind and opens me up to a whole new world of, of five-year-olds. And um, 
one of the things that, ha- that happened is we're, we're sitting on the floor doing free choice and playing zoo is a kid is just really getting really close to me, like really unnecessarily close. I'm a little uncomfortable, and he's just like smelling me, right? And, and I'm just like, hey, bud, how's it going? You want to pick up the giraffe? You want to do anything else other than smell me? And, and he's like, well, you just, I can't help it. He just said, you just smell so good. And I was like, well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. But, um, I mean, I did take a shower this morning. And he said, well, what kind of shampoo do you use? I was like, this is getting a little bit too personal, right? And I was like, well, I, I just took a shower and used soap and shampoo, like just normal stuff. Like, did you take a shower this morning? He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, your change is not helping me right now. I appreciate that. But, but the reality is for, for Christians, when we take a shower, when we put on clothes of compassion, of patience, of kindness... It should impact others, right? It should cause some people to gravitate toward you, right? In relationship with you. That what defines Christians is not that moral standard that we're ascribing to. It's not a political party that we ascribe to. It's not even about the way we look externally in our physical clothes. It's about the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the patience. It's about the character of Christ. That when you put that on, when you change, it impacts everybody around you. And so what do these characteristics look like? Look at the text with me. Compassion, that's the same word used in the story of the prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, the father looks at his son with what? Compassion. That word, specifically compassionate hearts, it's the idea that in your very bowels, right, a little graphic, literally you're, in your bowels you're compassionate, that you have a deep, the deepest parts of you have empathy for somebody. And if we know from the prodigal son, what does the father do when he has compassion? He runs, right, he moves. That Paul says you put on compassion, you put on a deep Empathy that leads to action. You put on kindness. The root word for that is used to refer to wine that has aged and over time has lost its harshness. Right? It's the same kindness that, that God says leads us to repentance. Right? That we are kind towards other people. We put that on. That we are humble. Some of you think compassion, kindness, check, check. Right? Well, you need to uncheck humility because you ain't got that. Right? Compassion, kindness, humility, that we see ourselves accurately before a holy God. We don't see ourselves too too fully uh, amazing, but we also don't see ourselves too lowly. We see ourselves in an accurate view in relation to God. That meekness, that puts humility on display in word and deed. That patience helps us realize that we are not the center of the universe. That when you are at the FedEx store and you're trying to get some things printed... And the associate at the counter isn't very helpful to you. And he says, go over to the copy machine, insert your card, print it out there, get a retrieval code. You try to do that. That doesn't work. You send him an email. So he prints it out. This is just hypothetical. (laughs) Just completely hypothetical. Just bear with me. But when all those type of things happen at the FedEx store or at Target or in traffic or with your kids, when they don't listen, that those are reminders You be patient because God is patient with you, that you are not the center of the universe. Paul says to put these things 
on to clothe yourselves in these things, that Christians should dress like this. But if we're honest, do we? Right? Is this what the church, is this what Christians are known for? I believe in, a, in an age of social media, hot takes, and piling on, we have a lot of Christians running around without their clothes on. Right? We have a lot of Christians running around without these clothes on. And we look just like the rest of the world. We don't have kindness. We don't have meekness. We don't have compassion. We jump in just like everybody else. And you would not know unless we said, hey, I go to church. I got a sticker on my car. But as we interact with people, they don't see these characteristics. I saw somebody say this week that sometimes Christians can come off as perpetually perturbed. Perpetually perturbed. We're always mad about something, right? The government's trying to kick us out of the school. Maybe. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, it's not, right? Um, but, but there are things like that, that like the, the government's trying to take away our rights and, and our neighbor's trying to take away our convenience, right? And our, and our kids are trying to take away our time, and, and we're known for being perpetually perturbed instead of these characteristics of Christ. And so... That's reality, right? I mean, that exists. And so what do we do with that? Do we just hang our heads and say, yeah, Tim, you're right. I mean, I just, I try to put these clothes on, but I'm just still sinful. I have my flesh. Like, what do we, what do, we do with that? Do we just hang our heads? No. It's about how we respond to that. Look at verse 13 with me. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's one verse you see forgive three times. Right? Here's the deal. We do struggle in these areas. Right? We are running around without our clothes on. Right? But what Paul says is when that happens, when this gets messy, because it will, here's how you respond. You bear with one another, you literally stay with one another, and you forgive one another. You cancel someone else's debt. So it's not that this isn't hard. Just like Paul assumes you live in community, he assumes it's hard. That's why three times in one verse he says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Right? People are hard. Church is hard. Motherhood is hard. It's messy. And I don't just mean the diapers. Right? It's more than that. And some of you who don't have kids, you're like, but those babies, they look so sweet. Yes, they are sweet, but they're also so sinful. If you don't believe me, work in our kids' ministry, right? They are sweet, but they are oh so sinful. And we need to teach them how to put some things to death and put on new things, right? And if you aren't serving in our kids' ministry, just by the way, as we move into the new location, great opportunity to do so. I was talking to our kids' ministry director this week, and she said about 90% of our families now, uh, the parents aren't serving. I'm like, man, we gotta, we got to change that. I have nothing else so you can experience and learn and be sanctified, the kids are, are sweet, but they're also sinful. Amen? So sign up to Serving Kids Ministry. That was just a little, little plug uh, for Sarah. Um, church is messy. People are messy. Paul knows that. He gives us a way to handle that. And what's interesting, if you look at the text again, Paul uses broad language here. He says, if anybody has a complaint, complaint, he doesn't say, if anybody has a sin, he says complaint. That could be anything, right? That could be sin. It could be differences. It could be annoyances. 
could be big things or little things. And Paul acknowledges whatever it is, the full gamut of those things that you're going to experience. Like even if you're not sinned against, you're going to have some annoyances with other people. For some reason, it's going to happen. The question is not if it will happen, it's when it will happen and how you will respond to that. Will you bear with one another? Will you abandon when things get hard? Or will you stay? Will you forgive? Will you choose to cancel that debt? Uh, You need to know that everything in our culture fights against this. That when marriage is hard, we say, get a divorce. When your job gets difficult, we say, well, you should probably quit. Find a new job. When church gets messy, we say, you should probably just find another church. There's lots of them, right? Our culture tells us to retreat. Paul is saying, no, you re-engage. And you re-engage, you you bear with one another, and you forgive one another. Despite the fact that it's messy, we can still see the character of Christ in the way we forgive and bear with one another. And notice there's a model for this forgiveness. Look at the text with me again. It says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. This isn't something you have to muster up or come up with creative ideas to do. We have a model in Jesus. How does Jesus forgive us? He's slow to anger. He makes the first move. Jesus forgives knowing that we will sin again, right? That's hard. You can forgive somebody and in the back of your mind think, don't you ever do that again, right? Jesus forgives us. All-knowing, omniscient Jesus forgives us knowing you're going to do the same thing next week. And so Paul says, you forgive as Jesus has forgiven you. And the way we do that, the way God forgives us is he he loves us, so he forgives us, right? He loves us, so he forgives us. We love people, so we forgive people. And Paul gets to that. Look at verse 14. It says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all. Why, Why does it say that? There's other texts like this, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter. Above all, love. Why does it say that? It says it in the text, right? It says love binds all the other things together. You see that? So if you were to imagine putting on all these things, compassion, meekness, humility, patience, put those clothes on, love binds it all together. So it's like the belt or the suspenders, however you roll, right? Love is that. Love, after you put on these clothes, love makes it all work, right? Love buttons it all up. It binds it all together in perfect harmony. You see, the reality is you can try to be kind. You can try to be compassionate. You can say, I'm going to be more humble. But if you don't love people, you can't treat people like this, right? That it starts, it ends with a love for people, Um. My son just finished playing t-ball for a season, and uh, along the way in that season, uh, we tried to teach him techniques, right, of how to stand, how how to swing, how to throw, how to catch. And over time, what we began learning is he got worse, right? I don't know if that's because I was the coach teaching him, uh, but he got worse, not better. And so, like, a few games ago, I decided, you know what, instead of just teaching him all the technique, I'm just going to focus on him trying really hard, 
And so we went out of the backyard, and instead of me just soft-tossing it to him to make sure he could catch it and have the right technique, I just threw it really hard. But not at him, like somewhere else, right? So he could take it back again, and he could throw it really hard and model what his dad was doing, right? And so when he would get up to bat as well, instead of saying, hey, put your feet right here, or hold the bat like this, or keep your eye on the ball, I would just say, hey, bud, swing hard. Like the movie Signs, swing away, right? Just outdated myself, but um, just swing hard, just throw hard, just run hard. That was on a Friday. The next day, he went three for four. Coach pitch. I know, it's amazing. Scholarships, <laughs> retirement, right? It's all coming my way. I hope so. But it was amazing. It just switched for him. Like, don't worry about the technique. Just swing away. Just run hard. Just catch. Just throw hard. That's what Paul is saying, that that love is like that. You can look at all the details, and you should. Do I have compassion? Do I have meekness, humility, patience? Do I have all these things? Okay, yes, no, maybe. Do I love people? Swing hard. Do Do I love my neighbor? Swing hard, right? That's the belt. That's what binds it all together in perfect harmony, right? Do you love people? If you don't love people, you won't help people. If you don't love people, you won't have compassion for people. If you don't love people, you won't be kind to people. Do you love people? Don't get lost in all the details and miss what we're called to do, the second commandment, love God and love neighbor. Paul gets at the core of this whole thing. Do you love people? Swing away. Bruno Mars, the great theologian of our day, Got this right. He said, I'll step in front of a train for you. I'll catch a grenade for you. Kids tell me that, at least, that those are the lyrics. I don't really know that song. But do you love people? Do you, do you step in for people? Do you sacrifice for people? One of the things we say all the time here is love moves. Love sacrifices. Love sins. Love serves. Do you love people? Are you sacrificing for other people? And some of you say, well, Tim, no, people are messy and people are hard. You just said that. It's hard to love people. And yeah, it is. And so as Christians, we love, 1 John says it, why? Because God first loved us, right? That as Christians, it is hard to love people. It's hard to sacrifice, step in for people. It's hard to do that. But we have a motivation and we have a means to do that in Jesus Christ. Why do we love? Because God first loved us. How do we love? Greater love has no man than this, than he who lays down his life for his friends. Sacrifices. Steps in. We have a motivation and we have a means for love. And some of us, it's so hard to love others because we haven't received the love of God first. You see, before you can express this type of love, you have to embrace this type of love. Because people are hard. It is going to be hard to love your spouse even, much less your neighbor or a stranger. For sure it is. But if you will have a love that's embraced, God first loved me. How? He sacrificed for me. He sent for me. He set me apart. Right? Embrace that. And then that leads to a love extended, expressed toward others. Right? So this is a love we have a motivation We have a means for, and this is our power to get that. Look at verse 15. We'll go through these these 
really quick. It says, by the peace of Christ, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ rule, literally judge, decide, and govern in your hearts. The only way you love people, the only way you put on the character of Christ is if you have the peace of Christ. And if you notice the language there, it says, let the peace of Christ. You, you would let the peace of Christ. It's passive, right? That the reality is we try to rule our lives and we don't have peace, right? I've talked about it through this uh, location change and this transition that, that my first instinct was to scramble and solve. And God said, no, 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 surrender. Let. Let me do this. Some of you as as moms, you you try to scramble and solve, like, why aren't my kids like the other kids? Are they going to get in the advanced class? Are they going to go to college? Are they going to get a scholarship? Are we doing things the right way? Scramble, solve, and God would say, let. Just, Just let the peace of Christ rise up in your heart. Just let that rule your heart. His kingdom forevermore in your life. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to solve it. When you rule your life, there's chaos, not peace. There's performance, not peace. And so Paul is calling us to surrender as we have peace in him so that we can love, so that we can put on character of Christ. We have the peace of Christ, and then we have the word of Christ. Look at verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love that language of the first part of that verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly, overflowingly so. How? In teaching, admonishing, and singing. This is an abundant, rich word of Christ through our teaching, through our singing that's, that's dwelling in us richly. It's, it's abundant. It's overflowing. So just a little bit ago, we sang, as it says. We sang the word of Christ, right? And some of us, we're singing songs like with weighty things, like you have no rival. You have no equal. You, your kingdom reigns now and forevermore. And some of us, we miss the dwelling in you richly part because we're standing around singing those amazing lyrics about the word of Christ, right? And we're like... You have no rival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have no rival. You have no equal. Uh huh. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yep, where's my coffee at? (laughs) And it's not dwelling in us richly, it's not overflowing in us, right? I'm not critiquing the way you sing. Maybe you're tired, I don't know. But the reality is, as Paul says, let this word of Christ dwell in you richly through teaching and singing that it's abundant, that it's overflowing. As I look at my life, what helps me dwell in the word of Christ is is really two things. It's consistency and creativity. So I have to get up in the morning, and I have to have some consistency about getting in God's word, letting it dwell within me. I do. I listen to some songs in the midst of that, the word of Christ through song, and and I try to let that dwell in me richly. But I also have to have some creativity, Right? I, I gotta know where I'm gonna sit. I gotta know if I'm gonna listen to it or or read it. I, I gotta have a cup of coffee. Right? When I was growing up in the church, sometimes you would hear this, really spiritual. It would say, Before I pour my cup, I will lift you up. Mm. 
before I even pour my cup, I'm going to lift you up. <laughs> right? I need some consistency and creativity more than that. Right? Because if I don't pour my cup, nothing's going to get lifted up. Like my body out of bed is not going to get lifted up. And so I have to think about creatively, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to drink? What am I going to sit? And some of you are thinking, like, well, Tim, you are not that spiritual. And okay, right? Maybe you don't need those things. And before you pour your cup, you do lift it up. And amen, God bless you, right? But I, I need some, to have some consistency, I need some creativity. So I know what chair I'm going to sit in in my office. I know I'm going to have that cup of coffee. I know I'm going to listen to some music. I know in the car when I don't get to do that, I'm going to put on the audio Bible, and I'm going to have some consistency and creativity to sing, to teach, to learn the word of Christ so that it can dwell in me richly. What does that look like for you? How does God's word dwell in you richly? A little bit later, you're going to have another shot at singing, right? The word of Christ would dwell in you richly, abundantly, overflowingly so, consistently, creatively. That's how we love like this. That's how we put on the character of Christ. It's by the peace of Christ, through the word of Christ, and the last thing, to the glory of Christ. Verse 17, look at that verse. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the glory of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You need to know, your value does not come in what you do, but who you do it for. If you're a mom and you do change diapers, and you do just take care of the kids all the time and barely have any time for yourself, your value is not in those things. Your value is doing everything, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're paying bills, when you're waiting in line at the DMV, right? it's not about what you do. Whose name are you doing it in? Who's getting the glory in your life? That can take somewhat meaningless things and give them eternal meaning. Right? No matter what you do, your health issues that you're experiencing right now that just seem detractors from what your primary mission is. You're thinking, I'm sitting in the waiting room, and it takes so long. I'm waiting on that diagnosis. I'm taking these pills. It's a detractor from my primary mission. And no, it's not. Because of Jesus Christ, he gives even the little mundane task of life meaning. It's not what you do. It's who you do it for. The power to put on the character of Christ it comes by the peace of Christ, through the word of Christ, to the glory of Christ. This is how change develops. This is what we are called to, to do, and this is how Paul calls us to do it in the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the band up now, and we're going to respond to this truth. We're going to take a moment to respond and to see how we can actually put these things on, put off the old, kill the old, put on the new character of Christ. So I have a couple questions. If you're taking notes, you can write these questions down. First question is this. Who do you need to love better? Right, we can talk about compassion, kindness, and all these things, but if you don't love people, you won't help those people. You won't be compassionate to those people or kind to those people. Who do you need to love better? In the midst of that, maybe to love people better, you need to forgive those people. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to forgive? Right? What does that look like? As you put on the character of Christ, 
Who is God calling you to love? Who is God calling you to forgive? Because life is hard. Relationships are messy. But Christ is our motivation and our means to live this way. He has given you through his peace, through his word, for his glory, everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to put on this character, to shed the old character, to put on these new behaviors, to shed the old behaviors, to put them to death, to bring these things to life. God, through Christ has given you everything you need that you in Christ have been sought out, have been set apart, are dearly loved. And that in Christ, you can put on the character of Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the character of Christ that you have given each man and woman who has trusted in you the opportunity to put on. God, I, I know there's some men and women in, in here who feel like this is impossible, who feel like they've already passed their prime and putting on this character, and maybe it's too late, and I pray that in this moment they would know by the grace of Jesus Christ that it's not too late, they're not too far gone to begin to put on these new clothes and to kill the old ones, to burn them, to throw them away. God, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, you've called us to change. There's, there's always things that can change in us as we mature in you, and I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray that you would help us to see the peace of Christ, to experience it, to let it rise up in our lives. That we would dwell in the word of Christ richly, abundantly, as we sing in a few moments. And that we would do everything to your glory. God, I pray for your help. I pray for our moms. I pray for our families. I pray for our our singles, our college students. God, I pray that all of us will begin to resemble you as we put on you this morning. God, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.